0: This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated
1: and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions.
0: Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on COPD. Kieran Walsh is my name, I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. COPD or Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease is common. The pooled global prevalence is 15% in men and 9% in women. And the expanding epidemic of smoking and aging of the population means that prevalence is growing. And COPD is a serious disease. It's associated with recurrent pneumonia, cor pulmonale and respiratory failure. So it's important we get diagnosis and management right. To give us more details about this problem and what we can do about it, we have on the line Hanna Sandalowski, general practitioner and head of unit- at the Academic Primary Healthcare Centre and senior researcher- at Karolinska Institute in Sweden. So Hanna, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is COPD?
1: Well, thank you, Karen. Um, COPD, uh, it is a chronic inflammatory lung disease that causes obstructed airflow- from the lungs. Uh, symptoms include breathing difficulty, cough, mucus, pr- production and wheezing. Uh, in the vast majority of people with COPD, the lung damage that leads to COPD is caused by a long-term exposure to irritating gases, most often cigarette smoking but there are likely other factors at play in the development of COPD, such as genetic factors, uh, because not all smokers develop COPD. Other irritants can cause COPD, including uh, cigarette or cigar smoke, secondhand smoke, pipe smoke, air pollution, and workplace exposure to dust smoke or fumes. People with COPD are at increased risk of developing heart disease, lung cancer, and a very variety of other conditions. The two most common conditions that contribute to COPD are emphysema and chronic bronchitis. These two conditions actually and uh, usually occur together, more or less. Emphysema, uh, there. Um, um, it's caused by an expo- exposure to cigarette smoke, and these gases destroy the fragile walls and elastic fibers of the air sacs, or alveoli, at the end of the smallest air passengers of the lungs. Now, that, what this does is that the small airways collapse when you exhale, which makes it um, difficult to, to exhale the airflow out of your lungs because it's obstructed. In chronic bronchitis, the bronchial tubes become inflamed and narrowed, and the lungs produce more mucus, which then tends to block the narrow tubes. You develop a chronic cough during um, trying to clear your airways. This in turn can give chest pain or chest tightness.
0: Okay. Thank you very much uh, for that comprehensive answer. That's, That's great. How do you make the diagnosis? Of COPD,
1: well, um, the diagnosis is actually based on a triad of three things: uh, first, risk factors in patient history or characteristics, mostly exposure to smoking, or and uh, an older age of the patient; secondly, uh, typical symptoms; and thirdly. Um, a persistent or chronic airway obstruction that is verified by a lung function test with a spirometry. So in spirometry, the air volumes and flows are measured and the patient blows into a large tube connected to a small machine or computer to measure how much air the patient can hold in the lungs and how fast he or she can blow the air out of the lungs. And other recommended tests At the diagnostic phase are um, six-minute walk tests to see what functional physical capacity the patient has and pulse oximetry to see the levels of oxygen in the blood. Uh, And when we suspect COPD in a patient, we also always take a chest x-ray and some blood tests to rule out common conditions in smokers, such as lung cancers and heart disease. So the diagnosis is not by any means a straightforward procedure. In fact, it is a, it's a bit tricky, which sometimes causes problems for the GPs. So in clinical practice, when someone presents with a history or signs or symptoms of airway obstruction, it is first and foremost important to determine whether the patient has asthma or COPD or possibly both diseases at the same time. The problem is that neither asthma nor COPD are two well-defined diseases today. Rather than that, both of them have several subgroups and sometimes the patient might have elements of both asthma and COPD. Today, however, we don't have a simple or reliable and clinically useful method to determine whether the patient has asthma or COPD or to specify the subgroups. So at present, the use of blood tests to find specific COPD biomarkers that could be used to diagnose or monitor COPD um, is still limited. We have some biomarkers that describe the levels of systemic inflammation and these can be of help, but they are still quite unspecific uh, for the airway inflammation that is typical for COPD. The Global Initiative for Obstructive Lung Disease, GOLD, guidelines of 2022 recommend measuring eosinophilic granulocytes in the blood to guide the choice of drug treatments but the role of them in diagnostics has not been established yet
0: thanks Hannah and can you tell us about any common pitfalls in diagnosis
1: well I would say that the pitfalls are um, lie in the problem problems of 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 differentiating between asthma and COPD. It is not a straightforward method. It is pretty tricky. And it demands quite a lot of uh, clinical experience and knowledge about these two diseases to actually differentiate between them two. Um, The diagnostics are also very unspecific and are based on things that we doctors um, uh, a lot of time feel kind of uncertain about about uh patient history about symptom evaluations about non specific data and we don't have uh specific test methods such as blood tests or other measurements that actually give us the 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 diagnosis straight away like in diabetes for example
0: and are are there any other pitfalls or is that the main one the asthma COPD dilemma?
1: Well, another pitfall is uh, the delayed diagnosis overall, um, that um, neither healthcare professionals nor uh, patients think about a possible COPD behind patients' other symptoms or other di- other chronic conditions. For example, um, the most common comorbidity comor- in COPD is hypertension, or heart disease, depression, anxiety. Um, in smokers. These people might go with, with the other diagnoses uh, for years before anyone think, thinks about COPD.
0: Okay, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. Let's move on to management now. Can, t- can you tell us what is the mainstay of management?
1: Well, um, the mainstay would be, I would say that um, the management is based on both non-pharmacological and pharmacological treatments. Um, Another mainstay is continuity in care. Um, A third one would be interprofessional, that is, uh, multidisciplinary teamwork around these patients. There is no one doctor who can manage COPD only alone from his or her office you always need to cooperate with other professionals, such as uh, well specialist nurses, physiotherapists, maybe counselors or psychologists, occupational therapists or nutritionists.
0: And and just to take these things one by one, you mentioned lots of different things. Let's start off with non-pharma. What what would you say about non-pharma management?
1: Well, the smoking cessation is the most important initial step in the treatment overall. Um, The risk of exacerbations, that is the worsening of symptoms, um, has been shown to decrease uh, significantly in ex-smokers compared with current smokers. Also, uh, pulmonary rehabilitation, including physical activity and self-management education, relieves symptoms and improves the quality of life and also improves their prognosis. There are vaccinations, which are, of course, in a way, uh, pharmacological treatments, but um, are usually um, considered as non-pharmacological vaccinations. Influenza vaccination is recommended for all COPD patients, uh, as it reduces serious illness and death, and also pneumococcal vaccination is recommended. Nutritional support to some patients that are um, that that suffer from. Um, malnutrition or or advanced COPD.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, and moving on then to pharmaceutical interventions. Um, tell us about uh, the the main ones there.
1: Well, um, I would say that bronchodilators um, form the mainstay of symptomatic COPD strategy. And as I say symptomatic, um, the the, princip- the the idea is that if the patient does not have any symptoms, but a, but is still diagnosed with uh, COPD, then there are no pharmacological interventions needed. Um, So bronchodilators, uh, there are some short-acting beta-2 agonists and long-acting beta-2 agonists, that is LABAS. And long-acting muscarinic antagonists, LAMAS. We usually just say LABAS and LAMAS. Short-acting bronchodilators have typically been used for as a rescue medication. Um, However, guidelines nowadays recommend uh, maintenance treatment with labas and llamas uh, alone, as a single treatment or together. And to reduce mortality, Um, that is most often an ultimate goal of a pharmacological treatment. And there is a strong evidence that so-called triple therapy, in which you add a typical asthma medicine, that is inhaled corticosteroid ICS, to Lama-Laba combination, you have a combination of ICS, Lama-Laba. That is a treatment that reduces mortality in some, some patients and this these patients are uh, those who uh, belong to the most advanced um, form of COPD in the gold group D with a history of two or more moderate exacerbations in the previous year or one or more hospitalizations for COPD
0: okay thank you tell me about continuity of care what 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 do you what did you mean by that why is it important
1: well we live in 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 many countries in many western countries we live in in the era of of um shortage of gps um malfunctioning primary care um we just d- simply don't have enough of staff to take care of our population that is getting older and 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 sicker and um On the other hand, at the same time, we've seen that the effects of continuity in care, where uh, patients have a long-term relationship, um, doctor-patient relationship um, with their primary care provider. They have uh, probably also a long-term patient-nurse relationship with their specialized COPD nurse or respiratory nurse. And there is strong evidence that these um, types of long-term um, care relationships um, reduce uh, illness. They, they improve patient health and quality of life, uh, reduce hospitalizations. They reduce um, the use of medications. Um, all in all, have all kinds of positive eff- effects. So, um, in in that sense, uh, continuity of care is is crucial for these patients.
0: Okay, thank you. And I know we're jumping around a little bit now, but one thing I should have asked you about pharmaceutical interventions was home oxygen. When when might home oxygen be indicated? I wonder.
1: Well, uh, the recent guidelines are, are very restrictive with home oxygen, actually. It's getting more and more <laughs> difficult or restricted to, to get that. There are, are restrictions from the home environment, of course, but also it, there is less and less evidence of its, of its effects and use and, and, and benefits. So uh, a patient should be severely uh, ill in, in um, COPD uh, have something that's called respiratory ins- insufficiency insufficient. and um that means that there's a chronic uh, hypoxia uh, going on uh which is de- determined by by measuring uh, the the blood um oxygen levels and um People who should be measured this way or or considered a home oxygen are the ones who actually uh, go below the the level of 92% in their uh, oxygen saturation when it's measured uh, in your finger. So below 92%, uh, then you should consider um, referring this patient for for an assessment of home oxygen.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, and, and then moving on to pitfalls in management. What would you say are the main pitfalls in management?
1: I would say um, both over-treating and under-treating <laughs> um, based on um, poor continuity in care, which leads to poor assessment of the current situation say that a, a COPD patient, for example, hasn't seen his or her GP for three years because there hasn't been any major um, exacerbations. The situation might have uh, changed quite much in three, four years. You might actually have had exacerbations without coming to your GP. You need to discuss this, you need to discuss your CAT assessment points, that is your health status, your symptoms, and update your um medication or your treatment maybe contact um the interprofessional team physiotherapist or whoever is needed so updating uh your educa- your treatment is, is crucial people get need, tend to get forgotten <laughs> um with their COPD uh de-deprioritized
0: okay why is, why is that i wonder
1: Well, um, there isn't a COPD patient who only has COPD. I have never met one. So my COPD patients, they usually um, come because of their diabetes or their their hypertension or their heart disease. And the whole discussion on the consultation usually uh, kind of uh, is about these other things because your COPD doesn't show unless you're exacerbating and, and you know becoming acutely ill. So um neither the pre- professionals nor the patients uh prioritize COPD in, in everyday discussions or the consultations. So that's one of the main reasons probably.
0: Thank you. And the comorbidities is really important uh, because BMJ best practice has recently launched a new comorbidities manager to better help manage patients with multiple conditions? And of course, you're right, there's an endless number of potential uh, comorbidities that somebody with COPD might have. Um, But just to pick one of them, um, COPD and heart failure, maybe. How might you kind of think about your management of COPD in a patient with heart failure or your management of heart failure in a patient with COPD, what should you look out for?
1: Well, uh, if we start from the patient who has already a heart heart failure that is diagnosed, um, then you of course you you go into the patient history and and try to find out if there are any risk factors for COPD. Is there any smoking in, in the history or any other risk factors? And that's, that's the starting point. That's where you start to investigate if the p- person has the COPD, first of all. Um, if the, the situation is the other way around, uh, where you have a patient that uh, you suspect COPD, then you always, uh, parallel to the COPD investigations, you always initiate a heart failure um, investigations also. So that includes, you take your... Uh, X-ray, chest X-ray, and some blood samples, uh, maybe a, an ultrasound of heart if you if you want to um, rule out um, uh, heart failure in a patient because this is very common. About thirty percent of patients with COPD uh, have a heart failure. the The mainstay of the management of these comorbidities is that both. Um, diagnosis, both uh, conditions should be optimally treated to, to kind of uh, work together for the best and, and to reduce the, the, um, the mortality and the complications and, and improve the prognosis altogether.
0: Okay, thank you. I'm going to ask you a very difficult question now. Sorry, um, <laughs> say if you have a patient with heart failure and you're thinking about giving beta blockers to the patient, and they also have COPD, but it's maybe non-reversible COPD. What would you think about that?
1: It wasn't a very hard (laughs) question, actually. (laughs) Um, Of course, both diseases should be uh, treated according to the, the single disease guidelines in this case, there are no restrictions of having any kind of special treatment for the beta, beta blockers or any kind of special selected selective beta blockers for the COPD patients anymore, just normal ones.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, last question. What have we missed? Any other questions you commonly get asked about COPD?
1: Well, most fellow doctors are kind of... Um, Frustrated with COPD patients, um, they think that COPD patients are like the unwanted stepmother who's coming into the room. And um, <laughs> with that, um, what 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 is there to do? What is there to say? How can I treat them? It's kind of hopeless. They never stop smoking. What should I do? <laughs> and um, I'm trying to encourage them to 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 act neutral, um, non-judgmental about a person's uh, smoking, for example. We're there for the, the, the patients to inform them of the treatments that are, that are available, that actually work. Um, there are good treatments that uh, are helpful and reduce mortality. Um, so don't give up on these people. Always, always ask uh, about their smoking if they still do. One day you will notice that they stop smoking because you you continued asking. The day you stop asking about smoking, that's the day the, the patient uh, realizes that my doctor has given up his or her hope on me now. So don't ever give up hope on your patients.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, I think that's an excellent point to 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 to, to sum up and and end on. So, so thank you very much, Hannah. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign in to BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.